Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Confessions of a Crappy Christian podcast. I'm your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake Guichet, and I'm so pumped to be bringing you season two of this show, packed full of more people telling incredible stories of who God is and what he's done. Today's interview is with Seth Haynes. Seth is the author of The Book of Waking Up, and today we're talking about a little bit of a different approach to the conversations of sobriety, addiction, and coping mechanisms. Seth, hey, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm I like am straight up, I'm so jacked about this interview. This is the first time in my podcasting career that I'm interviewing someone whose book I'm currently reading. So that's no fun. <laughs> it is, it is. It's yeah, no, pro- no, no pressure. No, don't screw it up, Seth. <laughs> so the book of waking up. I'm literally three fourths of the way through it right now. It's so good. It is your second book. Your first book, Coming Clean, is about your sobriety journey. So yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself and then also tell us about the book of Waking Up. Yeah, so I am uh, an attorney and a writer by day. Um, and I kind of combine those things. I write uh, books for myself, but also for other people. Um, and sometimes I get the distinct privilege of writing books for judges and with judges and lawyers and experts in their field. So it's it's a good time. I, I have a lot of fun uh, in my day job. Um, I live in Fayetteville, Arkansas, in the heart of the Ozarks. Love it. It's God's country. Hmm. It's beautiful. Have you ever been here? I have. I have. It's, isn't it amazing? It is. It's beautiful. You I love it. it. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I'm in Louisiana, so you're... Oh, we're in Louisiana. Baton Rouge. Okay, my my family is down in Baton Rouge, so no. I have some familiarity with it. Yeah, good times, so good cute. times. Well, um, so my wife, uh, Amber, who is also a writer, um, we are raising four boys here and loving life. Um, so so that's just kind of a little bit of my, my background, my history. Um, my first book, uh, Coming Clean, was, you're right, it was a book about my sobriety journey and it was actually a 90-day journaling uh, through sort of my process of realizing that, one, that I, I did have um, colloquially what we'll call a drinking problem mm-hmm. um, and, and that I needed to sort of step out of that and walk into something different. I did that with the help of a counselor and a therapist. Um, I didn't sort of engage in the typical AA uh, structures, although I've, I've been to some AA meetings and, and find them incredibly helpful. Um, but that's not the route that I went. I went through a therapy. And so that book just kind of chronicles my 90-day journal um, through the process of what it looked like to really understand what I was wrestling with and understand sort of the, the pain that was underlying um, my drinking and um, and then to kind of work through that therapeutically to a place where I could be fine um, or at least could exist without uh, the need to have a, a, a really inappropriate relationship with alcohol, you might mm-hmm. say. Um, so that was my first book. And then uh, I released that book in 2015, I think, 2015. Yeah, late 2015. Um, and probably around 2016, 17, as I continued my sobriety journey, I realized that I was actually really thinking about sobriety and alcohol and substance abuse um, in a really different way than than sort of what 
culturally was being said around me. Um, and I started to kind of delve into some other thinking on the matter of sobriety and addiction. Um, and as I did that, I realized that, man, I hadn't really learned everything I needed to learn. And I certainly hadn't written everything that I wanted to write on the topic. And so, yeah, so I just kind of dove in and started exploring um, maybe a little bit of a different way to talk about addiction and sobriety from a Christian point of view or a spiritual point of view. Yeah, it's so good. And I don't want to spend this whole interview just fangirling over how good it is, but it's (laughs) so good because, so I got, your publisher sent me a copy and I have a PO box and I go check my PO box and it's eight to 10 books deep usually. And I pull them out and I go through them and I can't read every book that I'm sent. I just like realistically can't. And when I first was flipping through them, cause I get the one sheet right with it. Right. So what yeah, the one yeah, sheet yeah. an author's one sheet is like a synopsis of the book and some suggested questions. So I'm flipping through them and I've, you know, read your one sheet and I was like, Oh, like sobriety addiction, like that, that'll be a great conversation, but I don't need to read that book. Right. And kind of like yeah, put yeah, it aside. Yeah. kept going. And then I, I I came back to it and I don't I really don't know why I ended up reading it. I mean, maybe God, <laughs> but ended up <laughs> deciding to read it. And it's about it. First of all, it's about so much more than addiction and sobriety. It's about, you know, living outside of trying to cope with your life and and actually experiencing the love that God is unleashing on us all the time. And just like a funny story, I was reading in my bedroom. My husband was out front watching, I think, a basketball game. And <laughs> I, I'm i reading it, and I kind of sit up, and I get up out of the bed, and I walk out front, and I've got the book in my hand. And I was like, hey, do you think I'm addicted to anything? <laughs> and he was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, what is ha- what are you reading? What's happening? And... I mean, because I don't believe in, in publicly processing, I won't go into what the rest of that conversation looked like, but this book forces you to take inventory and it forces you to ask questions that I really don't think anybody's asking right now. And so I think you're at the head of hopefully a movement of people realizing that just because our coping mechanisms and our addictions are socially acceptable... Mm-hmm doesn't mean they're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad to hear you say that for a couple of reasons. Um, one, I do think that we're all addicted to something. Um, I mean, even <laughs> it's funny, even, you know, I, I still have my own struggles. It may not be with alcohol anymore, but I have a very um, normal everyday coping mechanism. And I could show you just like examples. Like if you could see my desk, I'm kind of wheeling around and I'm just like, I have yeah. so many books right now. They're everywhere on my desk. Uh-huh. I, mean, I have like three, four or five books and I will just buy books like crazy thinking that at some point, like one book's going to unlock the piece that helps mm. me make sense of my pain, you know, mm-hmm. the existential pain of, of life. And, um, it, it, I know that that's ridiculous and it's never going to happen. Um, and yet still I keep buying, 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 buying books. Um, and I think, so I do think that we're all, we all sort of have different coping mechanisms for pain. You know, the, mm-hmm. in, in the book I reference um, this thinker on the topic, uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, and he uh, works with heroin addicts at the Portland hotel in Vancouver. 
And um, he writes in his book after years of working with various heroin addicts that the question underlying addiction is not why the addiction, but why the pain. Mm. And, and so his whole point is that like everything we do is a response to everything we do from an addictive perspective, from a habit formation perspective, from a coping mechanism pe- perspective is an attempt to somehow mediate or uh, solve the underlying pains of our lives. And so when I struggle with doubt, when I wrestle with uh, what does it mean to have faith in a world that's so broken, when I scroll Twitter and watch the dumpster fire that mm-hmm. is Twitter, um, and then I immediately turn and try to uh, find a solution by buying mm-hmm. a book on Amazon or, or going to the library or walking into Barnes & Noble, um, that's a socially acceptable way that I'm trying to mitigate uh, the pain, that mm-hmm. I'm trying to numb the pain, that I'm trying to get rid of the pain. Mm-hmm. And this is something that happens with all of us in all spheres of life, whether it's food, porn, gambling, uh, alcohol, it doesn't matter. It's right. all an attempt to sort of mitigate the pain. Yeah. And you you give the, the example in your book of the guy that when he's had a rough day, he runs until he pukes. Yeah. And that's that's actually a really, it's, it's not a hypothetical. That was like a very real conversation that right. I had. And the guy was saying, um, at the, it, it, the broader con- context of that conversation, which I can't remember exactly if I wrote all of the context, but the broader context of that conversation was it was a, a guy who um, in, his, in his early 30s um, is starting to feel the pressures of mm-hmm. um, having a career, having a wife, having two small children, um, having the pressures of like maintaining a level of income that can support his family, doing well, always thinking he's a step behind. Um, in, in his mind, you know, he comes at the, home at the end of the night and he's carrying all this stress of, am I enough? Can I do enough? Am I good enough? Am I performing well enough? And in his mind, he thinks, well, there's one thing that I know I can do. Mm-hmm. I'm a good runner. Um, and so, uh, you know, from time to time to test his mettle, he'll see how far it takes him until he pukes, yeah. you know, running. Um, and it's a way of saying, okay, I'm still as good as I used to be. I'm as fast as I used to be. I've got as much endurance as I used to have. I can accomplish this one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for him, his attempt to deal with the pain of not being enough is to prove to himself that physically he's still enough. Um, and that becomes a sort of coping mechanism for his own pain. Yeah. Do you, do you find coping mechanism and addiction synonymous? Um, that's a good question. I don't know that they're synonymous necessarily. Um, you know, there, there's, and I do some of this work in the book. I want to get to the bottom of what is the term addiction. So for me, I didn't find the term incredibly helpful. Um, I didn't find alcoholic as a term Mm -hmm. incredibly helpful. I didn't find addict as a term particularly helpful. Uh, that probably has to do more with my personality than Mm -hmm. anything if that makes sense. But, um, so I wanted to kind of delve into the term addiction and see like, what were, what were the etymological origins of the word? And what I found as I looked at the term addiction was that it actually originated in, um, this sort of Roman, uh, slave owner context. And so, um, what, what you would have is you would have a, 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 a slave owner who uh, lent a sum of money to someone and that someone couldn't pay the debt back. And so that someone uh, entered into this indentured servitude type of system with uh, the lender. Mm -hmm. 
And that slave bond that was created was called an addict. And so that person who owed the debt was literally attached, attached to the person who owed the money until they satisfied the debt. Hmm. And it wasn't until Shakespearean sort of days that uh, writers began to, and Shakespeare, William Shakespeare began to use the term meaning someone who is indebted to another thing. So indebted to alcohol. I'm attached to to alcohol. I'm indebted to alcohol. I can't move on from alcohol. Um, I'm addicted. I'm, I'm attached to uh, prostitution. I'm attached to drugs, whatever the thing is. Um, it was this, this, this thought, this artistic turn of phrase where he was saying, it is as if we are slaves to those things. Hmm. So for, for me, the question of addiction is actually more a question of attachment. Hmm. Now that goes to the next point, to your question, which is, are coping mechanisms innately uh, addictions? Not necessarily, right? I think that it's okay. I mean, I think God gave us uh, certain ways to deal with our pain, to blow off stress, um, certain coping mechanisms that aren't necessarily bad things, not necessarily addictions or attachments. But when we use those coping mechanisms over and over and over again to alleviate pain, or mm-hmm. as I've said with uh, a couple uh, clients that I speak with, if our reflex mm. in pain to reach for that coping mechanism, then that thing can adequately and truly be seen as an attachment and potentially an addiction. Yeah. So in the book, the work that I'm trying to do is not necessarily say that all coping mechanisms are bad. Not it. Mm-mm. Right. But what I'm trying to say is if your reflex is to reach for a particular coping mechanism, stop and ask yourself, am I misusing that for a a wrong purpose? Is it an attachment or addiction? That's so good. And and you, that is very much communicated throughout the book. I don't, I didn't, I haven't read it feeling shame for the, the ways that I do cope after a hard day. But it, like I said, when we first started talking, it forces you to look at I love that you use that word reflex. Like, is this a reflex? Is this, I have a hard day with my kids and fill in the blank that they. Yeah. Mommy's wine time. Exactly. Exactly. Are you, you know, which mommy wine culture, that's a, that's a whole podcast episode of its own. (laughs) But am I, am I drinking a glass of wine because I like the way it tastes and it's nice to sit with my husband on a nice cold night and drink a glass of red wine? Or is it because I need a drink? Yeah. yeah. That it's a total differentiation. And I think that's um, what you just said is really critical. The, you know, my grandpa was this big uh, Louisiana man, um, man's man kind of guy, you know, he's the duck hunter and he had the big voice and he used to call me goat head and, um, <laughs> you know, all the things that you'd expect, as you know, being yep. from Louisiana. You about, mean my uh, life, uh, right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. About Louisiana <laughs> male culture. Um, and I loved him so much, and, but he, uh, used to have these very tender moments where he would sit you down and sort of the bravado would, would fall away. Mm. And he used to say to me, uh, in those moments, uh, there is a difference between want and need. Mm. And the sooner you learn the difference, the better off you'll be. Mm-hmm. And, and when we talk about things like uh, mommy's wine time, for instance, it's just a good one. You know, if, yeah. if you begin to couch alcohol in terms of a need, um, I need this to write. I need mm. this to 
unwind. I need this to relax. Uh, it's been a hard day. I need a drink. Um, y- you don't. Mm-hmm. Your body actually doesn't. Right. And so something is happening internally, uh, both emotionally, psychologically, well, and spiritually. Yep. Um, that is causing you to use language that is inartful at best and destructive at worst. And so one of the things I think that we need to do is take inventory of our language. One of the things that I take very seriously and and did in the book was language. Mm -hmm. And so if we begin to see things like, I need this to do this. Mm -hmm. I need this drug to function. I need this alcohol to function. I need this book to sort it all out. I need, Mm -hmm. I need, I need. Um, Then we need to begin to ask ourselves, has this coping mechanism become an attachment or an addiction? Yeah. And I think that that's a, that's a, it's almost this like linear movement that it can start as a perfectly fine coping mechanism. And when the language, when that language tweaks and it changes to a need, well, then now we may be treading in some more addictive territory. I just wanted to pop in really quick and let you know that there are some new designs in the crappy Christian shop. There is general loudmouth for Jesus and habitually controversial. So if you tend to land on that end of the spectrum, like your girl here does, then there's some new swag in the shop just for you. You can find the Krabby Christian Shop at literally krabbychristianshop.com. So if we've defined addiction and we've kind of differentiated it from a coping mechanism and need and want. One of the things that you say in the book is that that sobri- like stopped behavior does not mean sobriety. Yeah. And that slapped me across the face. Just so we're clear. Yeah. Super rude of you to like just come <laughs> through the book like that. <laughs> <laughs> but so I need you to like flesh that out a little bit. And how yeah. do you define sobriety? Yeah. So to drink or not to drink is not the question. That's what I say in the book. And that's Mm -hmm. what I mean. Um, Now, to be clear, there are some people that have developed such um, an inappropriate relationship with alcohol that they never need to drink again. Right. Like they need to be teetotalers. They need to go to AA. Uh, I get that. I understand that. I affirm that. I'm for that. Um, I know people that are that way. Uh, I will never tell you on any podcast whether I am or am not that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but but like I believe with my whole heart um, in that model for some people. Absolutely. For sure. But but outside of, of that, okay, um, the, the question of what does it mean to be sober, it, it can't be reduced to do you or do you not participate in the behavior. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you two examples uh, to help that make sense. One example, I had a dear friend um, who sort of lived out in the country, and uh, she was a, a, an off-grid homesteader, mm. eccentric, wonderful, beautiful person. And um, she had read Coming Clean, and she called me, and it had been probably two months since the book had come out. And we were kind of uh, voxing, but it was actually a voxer conversation. We were voxing back and forth, um, and she had to wait till she got into town. Uh, to Vox. And so she gets into town one day and, and sort of out of context, she says, you do realize, don't you, that you're the luckiest son of a bitch in the room. And that was it. And I voxed her back and I was like, hmm? I have no idea what you're talking about. Super interesting. 
uh, comment that you made. Would you care to elaborate? And then like three days lapsed and she never came back. And I thought she was super mad at me for something. <laughs> well, three days later, she comes back into town and she uh, responds, well, you know, as somebody who wrestles with alcohol, you can just like put the bottle down and never go back to it. Like if that's your call, you can just quit it, be sober, be good, walk away. But for me, um, my my coping mechanism is different. It's something that I, I need to like survive day mm. in and day out. And if I just quit it, it would be terrible for right. me. It would actually kill me, right? Um, or if I overdo it, it would kill me. So mm-hmm. um, for me, I don't know how to navigate that. And, and um, it was a really interesting conversation. Um, and that's what really got my wheels cranking about what does it mean to truly be sober in a world where we actually need things to live? We mm-hmm. actually need to shop to live. Right. We actually need to eat to live. Um, and, and so I, I started really like to consider like, what does it mean to be sober with respect to things like spending money, uh, uh, eating drinking even but what does it mean like these things that we have to do to live what does you, it mean you to use be the example in the book of working working you have working. to work yeah right? like so so how do we make sure that we are sober in our work and not uh, becoming workaholics you know um here's the second example um that that really got me thinking there's an article in the new york times and it's called off the drugs onto the cupcakes it was written by abby ellen And in that article, it tells the story about a man who was addicted to heroin and he went to N.A. and, um, and, and, you know, kind of quit the drugs, quit shooting up. Uh, But while he was at N.A., he found himself drawn to the the cookies and the M&Ms and all the sweet sugary foods that they keep in the back of a lot of N.A. meetings. Mm -hmm. There's a reason they do that, right? Because as you break down heroin in the body, it, it does something uh, that converts it to a sugar. And so you have these massive sugar cravings, just like alcoholics do when mm-hmm. they quit. You have these massive sugar cravings. And so this is one of the ways that he was dealing with uh, being off heroin. Well, he ballooned up. Um, he, he was 135 pounds when he went in and he ballooned up to 250 pounds after being off heroin because he had replaced one addiction for the other. Mm-hmm. He, Placed one attachment to drugs to heroin for something else, um, and he found that it wasn't until he was able to see that he just substituted one addiction for the next that he was able to kind of look at his own life and get underneath it and think, "Oh, wait a second, there's something super unhealthy happening here, and I need mm-hmm. to understand that. Mm-hmm. Like, I need root of my core unhealth that's driving me to use heroin, mm-hmm. to use." Uh, to use whatever the sugary substance is. Um, and so it wasn't until he entered into this holistic way of thinking about being healthy emotionally, physically, and spiritually that he was able to really um, tap into what what I think is true sobriety, which is being able to pick up or put down any created thing in any given moment. And, and as Ignatius would say, St. Ignatius of Loyola would say, um, all to further my loving service and reverence toward God. Hmm. That's, that's the nature of what it means to be sober. I use the gifts of God in ways that are pleasing to God, and when they become unpleasing, I put them down. Yeah, That's about as simply as I can put it. So to me, that's what true sobriety is, is being able to pick it up, put it down. That's, I mean, 
what is, what is that quote that's if you can't explain it to a five-year-old you don't understand it i mean that's it's <laughs> perfect and and the only episode that i think i've had two other episodes about addiction and one of them was the the wife of an addict who has you know stayed and he traded a pill addiction for an alcohol addiction yeah you know and so yeah. i mean he didn't even trade his for a drug to sugar it was just one addiction he got clean on that and he went to the next one and and she talks super openly about and and she uses the word pain which you use a lot that he had not dealt with the pain that was causing him to reach for these things and yeah. has a really addictive personality you know yeah. which is a whole different aspect to it and so i think so i think that people listening if they're trying to do this you know 30 minute inventory first of all don't like don't yeah. use this podcast as the whole inventory because this is huge and it's life-changing i know that i tell y'all to read every single book but really pick this book up and read it because it's so well written and it's so ingestible and impactful but it's going to make you do inventory and it's going to force you to it's going to force you to pop out of bed and walk into the living room and go am i addicted to something am i addicted to anything i need to look at this because maybe i am and i love the the simplified definitions do you yeah. want it or do you need it can you put it down whenever it feels unhealthy and not need it to cope. Yeah. Those are really those are those are the questions we're asking. Yeah, and there's you, there's something that you said earlier um, in the podcast, and you said uh, it's, it's something about being on the forefront of the language, and and I, I actually want to um, I want to I want to talk about that for just a second because the truth is I'm not on the forefront of the language. I'm like 500 years behind the language, and that's the beauty of what's okay. Maybe you're just again. at the forefront of the language for me. Yeah. Let's just say it's yeah, yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but but this is this is kind of when I go back and I look at the great spiritual writer writers of old, and and really um, you can look at Augustine. Um, you can look at Aquinas. Um, for me, I kind of started with uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, who is this Spanish monk. And he would say that the chief and, and primary aim of humans is to love, serve, and reverence God. That's mm -hmm. the foundation and the principle, right? And then after that, to use the created things of God only as far as they help us love, serve, mm -hmm. and reverence God. That's the point. And so what he would say is when you go to the table, um, imagine Jesus at the table with you and, and see that maybe the wine is prone to be an addiction. Maybe the food is prone to be an addiction. But while you're there, eat as Jesus would eat and, his, mm. and his, eat as Jesus and his disciples would eat. Drink as Jesus and his disciples would drink. And in that way, you're sort of constantly attached to this imaginative prayer mm -hmm. Um and that, that to me, like that is the trick um, to begin eating and drinking in that way. And as you do it and shopping in that way, um, and as you do it, like really move into this ancient way of thinking. And then on top of that, um, when the needs and the desires uh, sort of strike, like go to a therapist. <laughs> Please. <laughs> right? We are so pro therapy here. Go to yeah. therapy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Find a therapist, find a good priest, find yes. a good pastor, find people who, if you need to go to AA or NA, go, uh, yes. go to SA, you know, like do the work. Um, but in the meantime, as you begin to like sort of figure out and form new habits, like set your mind, I'm going to love, serve and reverence God. And I'm going to use the created things only as far as they allow me to love, serve and reverence him. That's so good. I mean, I'm not even going to try to follow that. That's so good. That's perfect. Tell people where they can find and follow you and get a copy of your book. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Seth Haynes, H-A-I-N-E-S. Uh, you can find me at SethHaines.com where uh, right now I'm doing daily writing again, which is so much fun. Nice. So good. Yeah. Um, and if you sign up there, you'll also be put into my Substack newsletter, which is sethhaines.substack.com uh, um, and then you can get my books anywhere books are sold you can get it at Amazon you can get it at Barnes and Noble uh, Coming Clean and The Book of Waking Up and you can get it at my favorite little independent bookseller in Fort Smith, Arkansas Bookish oh that's awesome they're great yeah uh, we're gonna do we do three rapid fire questions to end the interview oh boy Okay. rapid fire I love it no pressure do you know your Enneagram type? Do I know my Enneagram type? I'm You'd a five. You'd be surprised how many people don't. You're a five. I love that. I'm a five. Yep. My best friend's a five. It's good people. Good people are five. It is good fives. people. What's your wing? Yes, yeah. A four. four. Pretty. Mm -hmm. And it's a hard wing. It's a hard wing four. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can tell. Yeah. Uh, yep. What's your coffee order? Always black coffee. Coffee order, super simple. Give it to me black. The bigger, the better. I'm good to go. Love it. If you had any superpower, what would it be? Oh, probably. Um, ooh, that's a good one. If I had any superpower, I would probably choose to be invisible. <gasps> that's that a super good creepy? one. No, I like it. That's a good one. Can you turn it on and off? Or are you always oh, yeah, invisible? Yeah. Okay. No, totally. Yeah. If it's a superpower, you get to choose if it's off or oh, on, 100%. right? 100%. But like yeah, the invisible totally man in was like always invisible and it seems yeah, really Yeah, but that's jacked up. Right, right, no, right. no, I don't like that. I don't yeah, want no. that. You get to yep. choose. That is an awesome because superpower. I just, I just think through if you were invisible, it's such how much you It's a, such Dude, a five superpower, though. One, every party I'm, I can get away from. So wonderful. And then two, the layers of accountability for your sons. I'm raising sons oh, just to know, like, hey, at any point, uh -huh. I could be watching you. Uh-huh. Seth, thank you so much. This was such a fun interview. Hey, thank you so much. And um, I w had a lot of fun being here. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week. Mm -hmm.